We are back in business, baby. Clovis stands up to Newsom, and we have special guest Matt Zapon. This is the Matt and James Show. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Together, we will make America great again. This is the Matt and Jan Show. El Matador here to tackle the beast of politics. Chandler, how you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. We've got another week, another podcast here to give the people what they want. Uh, I'm really excited. The semester ended this week and uh, junior year is done. How excited are you? I'm excited. One more year. You got a semester. We're ready to rock and roll. We're going into the real world. So it'll be very soon that we're out working and doing what we love to do. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's very exciting to be making that progress on our education. Good semesters for both of us. I know we're both fairly confident. Uh, we'll be looking at 4.0s this semester. So uh, good job to you. And uh, yeah, we're definitely, we value our academics, we value our athletics, and we value uh, free thinking here at the Matt Cam Show. Exactly, 100%. So we're going to get into our Google Home giveaway. Here we go. So the winner is Amy Altshuler. She came. She left a review on iTunes, and she is the winner. So congratulations, Amy. Thank you for listening to the show and for leaving a review. And you can continue leaving reviews at iTunes. You can go on, leave five-star reviews, help us hop up in the charts, and help us grow our listening base. We are growing each and every week. So it's good that you go on and show your support. And if you don't like the show, go on and leave some negative content. If you want to, if you don't feel like you're getting the content that you want or you have some criticism where we can work on, we're open to criticism. We're not the left. We're not going to shut you down. We're not going to make fun of you for leaving stuff. You can email us, thematchan at gmail.com if you want to leave us some commentary. If you don't want to be open with it, but we're open to all commentary, so make sure to reach out. So we're going to hop right into the news cycle. So this week we had some big news. So Clovis opens up 5-0. A lot of small businesses hurting. A lot of bars on the verge of closing. So it's just crazy now that we're, we're back and running. I think Clovis is, is taking a big step. Fresno, on the other hand, has a lot of businesses suffering. And it's, it's good to see that Clovis is actually opening up. And Fresno hopefully opens up soon. Hopefully Lee Brand gets his act together and gets things going. Chandler, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Fresno, Clovis, they're very different in the way that they're following orders. Yeah, you know, I'm very glad to see it. In my opinion, politics should happen at the most local level um, as often as possible. And this is one of these things, you know, Clovis isn't the same as San Francisco or Los Angeles. Um, Much smaller location, uh, high dependence on small business and not nearly as many cases as some of these more condensed metropolitan areas, uh, even though it is, uh, it's a mix between, uh, some very, uh, very condensed city and, uh, more spread out suburban and, and rural area, um, composed, uh, city of Clovis. But, uh, overall, I think it's a great decision. Old town Clovis definitely needs it. You know, this is local politics to central California and uh, old town Clovis, uh, lots of uh, small restaurants, bars, uh, coffee shops, uh, and small retail uh, going on in old town Clovis. And I think if, if there would have been um, a shutdown that lasts much longer, probably would have met the end of a lot of those businesses as it is uh, many of them and will probably struggle to reopen. So, yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
it's just crazy. We see different examples. We have the waffle shop here in Fresno and it's Amar Brahim and he's opened up. He's like, Hey, grill is hot and ready to go. Coffee's being poured. We're social distancing. Why can't we open? And this is a story across the country. And we'll have Matt Zapon later and we'll hear his thoughts on Pennsylvania and their lockdown going through very similar things as we are here in Fresno, California. So this whole thing is going down and Fresno businesses are hurting. I know we had Crazy Bernie, his furniture place. He was doing curbside pickup, doing all these things that these big stores are doing, and yet they're getting punished for being a small business. And they're picking winners and they're picking losers. That's not right. Lee Brand needs to get his act together. I think Clovis has taken some great steps to reopening, and it's pretty much reopened to the extent of we're still practicing social distancing measures, but stores are opening small businesses. Like you said, Old Town Clovis, a lot of coffee shops, a lot of different stores. So it's good that Clovis is back up and running. So that's some good news to start off the week. I know it's been so much bad news. We got all these things. If you listen to the mainstream media, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, the world's ending. This is going to be it. We're going to be dead at the end of the year. There's going to be all this stuff. So it's good. That's what we're here on the Matt and Chan show. We're going to bring some positivity here to start. So we're going to hop right into the, the Shelly Luther case. We have the audio clip from her in court this week. She was arrested and put in jail for seven days. She had different options to pay fines and different things. And this is just another example of a small business being shut down due to these government orders and these tyrants in these other states. So we're going to have audio clip number one. Here's Shelly Luther appearing in court. And this is her response to the court's decision to put a, put a shutter down pretty much due to COVID-19. I have to disagree with you, sir, when I when you say that I'm selfish, because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salon. And wow. So she's saying like, she's got to feed her kids. And this is the story of America. This is the backbone of America. And the fact that they're shutting down these businesses, that their livelihood depends on it. Like Chan, these are people that are putting all their life savings together to make sure these businesses are running. And some are doing better than others. I know, I don't know in Hanford, I don't know how a lot of the small businesses have been affected there, but like, People, people's livelihoods are on the line and people are suffering because of this COVID shutdown. So I'm hoping Fresno County makes a move and opens up. How's Hanford looking right now in this whole shutdown process? Yeah, you know, I haven't been getting very uh, clear information. Uh, city of Hanford is pretty small and, and Kings County is fairly small and has been uh, relatively unaffected by COVID-19 uh, up until the last week when we had a surge in cases. Uh, Businesses are all shut down. Small businesses are. I think some are available for curbside pickup, um, but largely I've been staying home, so I, I'm not too much in the loop. Uh, I think generally, though, uh, Hanford should be able to uh, uh, reopen at least to some degree as uh, as soon as possible. I know uh, Newsom had talked about uh, entering stage two of uh, California's plan to reopen. Um, but that will, again, sort of be decided at the local level. Um, I think that uh, overall, though, the, in the Shelley Luther case, what she did was very brave um, in standing up for uh, the rights of businesses to operate. Uh, I think that right now we're sort of at a, a, a turning point in the United States where, uh, you know, we could see a much greater sense of government control 
or we could see the people stand up for the rights and uh, keep uh, control at a local level. So uh, I certainly hope that other people will, uh, or, or that people will see her example and not necessarily have to uh, follow it, but that politicians will recognize, okay, this is actually important to people's lives. And if we continue to uh, limit their freedom of, of movement, freedom to conduct business, uh, freedom to protest, that the people will not, uh, will not tolerate it. So I think it's a great thing, uh, sort of a civil disobedience type case. So yeah, that's uh, my thoughts on Charlie Luther and, and on Clovis reopening and all of that. Exactly. So I'm I'm a hundred percent in agree like agreeance with everything because Shelly Luther, she's now a hero in her town and it's just crazy to see like she got released yesterday and to see the people outside and she didn't really talk much. She came up to the microphone. She was very shocked that so many people were there and she just said she was released because the governor was like, Oh yeah, well like you should probably let her go because this is not good face. Like, oh man, we're locking up owners in Texas. Whoa. So it's good to see that. Shelly Luther was released, and I'm hoping those fines get reduced or taken away completely. That is just not fair to business owners, and it's just it's just a, another American standing up to the government that's trying to control us, these tyrants. But speaking of big government, we have this story this week with Michael Flynn b- being exonerated for the different crimes because of the whole Russiagate, Spygate. You know, Chan, the whole thing that went down, the whole thing, the silent coup that went to take out Donald Trump since he got elected and even before in the Obama administration. So they had some new documents coming out from the FBI that pretty much says that Michael Flynn didn't actually do anything and that there was no evidence into the Mueller report at all. So it's, now it's all coming out. And the stuff that we've known for the past few years that we're like, yeah, this stuff, start, the pieces started coming together and these different things that like Peter Stroke and these various other actors in this whole thing, that they were all in it to take out President Trump Michael Flynn was set up by the two FBI agents, and they set up and ruined this man's life. And now Trump is talking about possibly hiring him back in, and it's just crazy to think that, like, what they did to this man's life, what they do for power, the Democrats, like we've talked on many episodes before, they will do anything for the money and the power, and what they did to Michael Flynn was totally wrong. So it's good to hear that evidence is coming out, that he's going to be a free man soon, and that possibly he might be able to get his job back. But it just shows you how much of a swamp D.C. is and how much they'll do to take you down. So what are your thoughts? I know all this evidence is rolling out that Michael Flynn is being exonerated. I'm hoping Trump gets the pardon and everything and that he's released from prison. I just the fact that we have the Democrats coming out and they're doing all these different things. It's just it's some good news to hear that hopefully people are held accountable for this whole situation. It is just wrong what they did to Michael Flynn. Yeah, you know, you touched on exactly where I was hoping to go with that right there, that I hope that people are held accountable. Uh, you know, if this is uh, really the case that he did nothing wrong, which it certainly seems that way, uh, there needs to be some accountability held in terms of uh, who pushed uh, any sort of rulings against him. And, uh, yeah, it, the the swampiness of D.C., as you say, is, uh, is pretty ridiculous. And I think you know, Trump has done a good job to uh, to root out some of this, and the fact that uh, Michael Flynn had to be a uh, a victim of this uh, corruption going on in our intelligence communities is uh, it's not good. And uh, yeah, we definitely should look more into this. 
um, especially with the intent of preventing something like this from happening again. I don't know exactly how that would be done, but uh, I think if we can uh, protect from corruption at the higher levels, uh, especially of uh, the federal government and the intelligence community, uh, it would really serve the American people to uh, have some more trust in uh, those organizations because America shouldn't trust at this point uh, the FBI or the CIA um, because uh, of how the uh, the higher ups there are operating. And Chandler, I actually kind of have to disagree with you. The higher ups, those I don't think we should just totally go against the FBI, that we shouldn't trust the CIA or the FBI completely, because there's a lot of good people that still work in the FBI. I just think that the people, that 1% of these people that set up Michael Flynn in this whole situation should be held accountable for their crimes against this country. It's treason is what happened. And the fact that it, it happened is a disgrace. Obama knew about it. And all these head people like James Comey, these people should be tried. But I don't think we can't just go against trusting the FBI and these different things. So I agree that they should be held accountable, but I don't think it just sucks because it only takes a few people to mess up a good thing that we have in our country. There's accountability in the justice system, but when it gets wrong like this, it's not a good thing. Yeah, and, and thanks for clarifying uh, there. I think uh, you, you clarified the point that I was making. Uh, I'm certainly not saying don't trust, uh, don't trust the FBI, uh, but the fact that there are corrupt individuals uh, who, you know, uh, carried this out against Michael Flynn, that needs to be looked into and needs to be prevented uh, in terms of uh, maintaining trust in these organizations. Exactly. Yeah, I know I didn't want to go out there and have the whole FBI, oh man, we should not trust the FBI or the cops or anything. Like, I don't want to push that agenda on here because I know that's what a lot of people are trying to trying to push out there. I know that's not the, the message that we're trying to have here, but just like focusing in on that. So yeah, so that's some good news. Michael Flynn, some evidence coming out. Hopefully he gets his name freed. His reputation will be tarnished forever just because of everything that's occurred. His family, he's broke from all the legal fees that he had to go through. So I'm hoping he ends back up in the Trump organization because he was wrongly accused of a crime he didn't even commit. He didn't have any connections to Russia. They set up some false pretense. And even Michael Flynn in the whole investigation, the whole thing is when they set him up, he said, oh, do I need a lawyer or an attorney here? Oh, no. Oh, you should be good. And then they set him up trying to t get his ties into Russia and everything. And there's a whole bunch of different things in this spider web that you can go into. But yeah, any last thoughts on that, Chandler, before we go to our break? No, I think that's great. Awesome. Well, we're going to head to our break. Coming up next, we have Matt Zapon from Pennsylvania coming onto the show. And later in the show, we have a, a little piece and section that we're going to work on is college students and how they've been impacted through the COVID crisis. So we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Matt and Chan Show. We have Matt Zapon from Blair County, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show. Hello. How you doing, Matt? Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So we just had some few questions for you out. So how's life in Pennsylvania right now? Well, it's getting a little better, actually. Today, Governor Wolf, so there's three different phases that counties can fall into. There's the red phase, yellow phase, and green phase. The red phase effectively means stay-at-home order. The yellow phase is aggressive. This is what he says, aggressive mitiga mitigation. And then green phase is, I guess, what you could call normal. He, unfortunately, I don't know why he did this, but they're using draconic policies in regions from like the 60s they're using like health regions from the 1960s and by the way governor wolf is a democrat yep and these regions don't make any sense in my opinion i mean they might have made sense back in 1962 today's standards they really don't for example blair county has a population of 122,000 people 
we have 25 cases of COVID-19 in Center County, which is literally like north of us, like it borders us to the north. They have over 100 cases and they have about 160,000 people. So it might sound a little better. And honestly, I mean, Center County should reopen at this point with that small amount of cases. But they reopened today. They have a higher per capita infection rate. They have way more. We have zero deaths in Blair County. They have not a lot up there. I think it's like four or five. But regardless, they're reopening today. Governor Wolf didn't want to reopen any of us again until June 4th. But there was so much political pressure from people in my county and surrounding counties that he finally bit the bullet. A lot of different counties are supposedly going to reopen next Friday, which is good. Blair County is supposed to be one of them. So I'm very happy to hear that. You know, I'm very, th- I don't know if my friends will watch this, but I'm very thankful to our state representative, state senator, and our commissioners, and also our U.S. representative for really pushing for us to reopen. Because a lot of, you know, in my community, we were a railroad town. Altoona was a railroad town. Blair County was largely around the railroad. And unfortunately, that industry, by and large, moved out. So a lot of our lifeblood in this community is small business. And as you know, Lowe's and Home Depot and Walmart, they're all allowed to be open, but for some reason, small businesses that sell literally the same exact things as them and could probably handle this actually a lot healthier than Lowe's is, are not allowed to reopen. So I'm glad to see that a lot of people are going to start getting paychecks again. And, you know, I think really this was the thing. Whenever you have 32 million people across the United States unemployed, I know Pennsylvania has been one of the largest states in terms of unemployment. Whenever you have this many people unemployed, and realistically, we have 327 million people in this country, and what, like a million of them have COVID-19, probably more actually that are just completely asymptomatic. So realistically, the mortality rate's even lower than what I'm about to say. But a 0.6 mortality rate, like the cure is worse than the disease at this point. There are so many safe ways we could operate business. I'm not calling for concerts. I'm not calling for parades, sports arenas. I get that. That's a lot of people in a tight area but I don't see why every business couldn't be operating right now other than the ones I just kind of mentioned. Oh, yeah, I know it's been a big, a lot, a lot of damage that's occurred across the country. It's a lot of small businesses. This is the backbone of America. We see it here in Fresno and mm-hmm. Clovis. Clovis actually opened up 5-0. They had a vote on our city council for Clovis. They're not going to follow the county or state measures, but they're going to put them to enforce everything. But I've heard people like your guys' representative, Jim Gregory, with the mobile billboard and this big push over yes. there to reopen. Um, do you want us to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and, you know, that was awesome. I mean, being from Pennsylvania, the demographics in Pennsylvania in general, especially in Blair County, it's not very diverse. I mean, Pennsylvania, you know, northeast United States is not a very diverse part of the country. But it was wonderful. I actually went to the signing. I didn't go to the ceremony where he spoke. I was at work still. Thank God I'm employed. But I went to the signing. I put my name there at the Altoona Curve, which is a baseball team. That's where they were hosting it. I signed my name and it was amazing. I went there. I saw Republicans I knew. I saw Democrats I knew from the community. I saw, you know, African Americans there. I saw people of different religions signing. And it really, I think, was a testament to how America can unite around a cause whenever it affects all of us. And I think it's just beautiful to see because that really is what this country is about. Yep, I know, and the left continues to want to divide us by political party, race, and all these different things. And when you see something like this, we're all Americans at the end of the day. And just like significant events like 9-11, how everybody came unified together, didn't really matter what race, religion, or ethnicity that you Mm -hmm. were. And so seeing something like this just makes my, my heart feel good that there's actually 
the communities are ready to get back to work and people are just tired of being at home. The people are getting stir crazy. People have lost their jobs. Exactly. Like you said. Suicides are going to go up. Drug abuse is going to go up. It's going to, I mean, my one friend put it really well and he's a, he's a leftist, but we had a very good conversation. Like, here's the thing. If you're, if you're going to have an opinion that's different than mine, that is a hundred percent fine. But if you want to, you know, have a respectful conversation, I'm going to have a respectful conversation back. If it becomes a screaming match, I don't want to have a conversation. This guy was respectful. And he really, I think, did bring up a good point. It really is lose-lose either way. I mean, this is the reality. The virus was going to come here no matter what. Thankfully, President Trump closed our borders when he did. I know that Joe Biden would not have. I mean, he openly stated he wouldn't have. We wouldn't have had our borders closed till April 3rd. There would probably be millions of people dead right now. But we're thankful for that. And it's just really a, a lose-lose, unfortunately. But I think if people are employed and our economy is at least rebounding and we're losing less lives than the economy completely shut down and people losing lives, it's a balance you need to find. And I think that the other option is a lot better. Yeah, that, that's very cool. Uh, so I'm a little curious, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, our audience would, would like to, to get to know you. Obviously uh, what you're presenting, you're uh, very conservative, uh, yes. engaged in politics, but yeah, uh, where are you currently going to school? Where do you work? Uh, what are some things that you're engaged in? Yes, well, I go to Penn State Altoona. I'm currently a major in marketing and management. I just finished my junior year two days ago, so that's awesome. I'm very happy to be done with it. I'm minoring in political science, too, but I really want to understand the business community before I get into politics, as I feel like that will just benefit me. And then, you know, downstream, it benefits everyone if I understand the economics a little better. So, I go to Penn State Altoona. I work at Staples. My biggest hobby is I'm actually the chairman of the Blair County Young Republicans. We have about 25, 20, well, anywhere from 25 to 30 members, if you include general members versus pledge members. So we have a decent amount of people. I know in 2018, we made about 17,000 voter contacts. Last year, we made about 10,000. And, you know, I just like going out in the community. I like meeting people. I like hitting on doors. I, like can I think canvassing is very fun. A lot of people don't think that, but I think canvassing is very fun myself. It's, it's, it's healthy. You get to walk around a lot. You get to meet new people. I think it's an overall win. But I do that. I mean, it's actually interesting how I became a conservative because I remember whenever I was a third grader, my uncle was a super, and he still is, was a super Obama supporter. So my third grade self as the only influence I was looking at. I liked Obama in like third grade. And I always, I always say this is funny because this is like the typical argument that the Republicans make, but history made me a Republican and economics made me a conservative. And I took his, you know, the American history class in 10th grade. And then in 11th grade, I took the economics class. And that's really what shifted my worldview. I, and obviously, that's just a textbook worldview. But the more and more I get into the real world, which honestly, I've just kind of dipped my foot in. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, I'm 21 years old. I'm still in college. I've just dipped my foot into the real world. A lot could change. But every single time I go any bit farther, I just see more and more how free markets, individual liberty, and one nation under God really benefits every single person in this country, whether they see it or not. So I guess the takeaway is I am very different than a lot of people my age. I'm not a huge fan of alcohol. I've never done drugs. And I think that canvassing is very fun. Yep. You, you joined the <laughs> so party over different. here. <laughs> you join in the party. So I know usually at this age, most people are like, oh, if you're conservative, you got no heart. 
but they're all, if you're a liberal when you're 40, you're, you're dumb. So it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, as you get older, like you said, stepping into the real world, it's like, we're young conservatives in a world that's full exactly. of flaming liberals and different things that, Hey, we need more big government. We need more, more spending. We need to give everybody a free, free healthcare, free checks, everything. And most people free just everything. don't realize where this money comes from. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I just have hope because, I mean, if you look at the baby boomers, you know, you had Woodstock, you had the Vietnam War protests, everything like that. The baby boomers were actually a very liberal generation at our age. Mm-hmm. But they have definitely shifted towards a much more conservative stance on a lot of issues ever since, I guess, Reagan era. I think that's when it really started to take a shift with the Reagan era. Yep. And, you know, that, that would have been around when they were turning 30, 40, getting into their career. Their families are already established. So... I feel like once millennials and Gen Zs start paying for things, start paying taxes, start making families, start buying houses, investing in the stock, if they do, investing in the stock market or even just investing in their house, I think that there's going to be a bit of a revelation. They might still say socially liberal, but I feel like they'll trend more economically conservative. Yep. And it's good that you're getting an economics degree. I know we have, or actually marketing, and we have people like AOC who are in office that have a degree in economics and we have stuff like the green new deal. So it's good that we have somebody that's conservative getting a marketing degree. Cause it's like, wow, it's like, I see people that are history and different majors and stuff and they're very social, like socialist in tendency. So it's, it's good to see. So um, I just wanted to jump into our next question. So politics. Now you started this writing. I know you guys did the university conservative, correct? Yes, correct. I can give you a whole backstory if you want. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about that and, and then politics now and then, um, just kind of redundant, but why now? So, like, why in the name now? Oh yeah, no, just like politics now. Like, what 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 are the origin? What are what are the motivations okay. behind politics now? Like, yeah. why start now in the middle of the COVID crisis? Like, what are what are the intentions? Where do you want it to go? Some things like, what are your guys' okay. mission and stuff like that? Yes. Okay. So, I started writing back in about 2018. I started writing for a site called Politicized, which shut down i think it's back now but it shut down whenever i was writing for it so obviously i jumped because i was the only person that was writing anything for it at that time so i jumped to write for another news site it was called the hub city post which is now defunct too and they shut down because no one really wanted to write anything for them i think so then the university conservative was really where i met a lot of the people in the group chat that were in you know peter chad james garrett all those people i met them through the university conservative which i started in late 2018 and you know it sounds redundant and it's totally a Gen Z thing to say, but like my, these are my internet friends and they're very good friends of mine, even in real life. Like we'll call each other. I mean, obviously we've never met each other. Some of us live in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Nebraska, North Carolina, we're all over this country, but we all different time zones don't stop us from being friends. So we'll call each other. We'll catch up with each other. We have a lot of good memories from the university conservative. And I think it was a bit of a sense of nostalgia that drove me and also coupled with the fact that I told you I do all that canvassing and go to events all the time and I haven't been able to for like three months now. So I had a lot of extra time on my plate. So I just kind of had that nostalgic bite after we disbanded and I contacted all of them this one Sunday. I was just taking a walk. It was a nice day. I said, Hey guys, I said, you know, this is going to be a really low key thing to start with but you guys want to write again. And I think it'd be fun if we did something. And originally we were going to restart the university conservative, but the way I looked at it, I wanted to start fresh. I wanted to come off with a new idea. 
I thought that it was going to be cool to kind of draw in people that were not only conservatives. I didn't really like, I guess that was the one complaint I had. The title was awesome. The writers were awesome, but I kind of wanted something that wasn't so narrow. Not that everything was just a complete conservative, you know, party, I guess you could say, but I don't want such a narrow title. I wanted to include people that were moderate, that were liberal. And also I know from a lot of my friends being older, they were kind of, they didn't really like the fact it was called university. I guess there weren't a lot of people from different age demographics writing for it. So I wanted to make sure that we have people from different demographics writing for it. So that was the inspiration for politics. Now we set up, I know I came up with the idea on a Sunday, like I said, and on that same day, I called about seven people throughout my walk. We had the website up the next day. We had some article. We've been doing an article every other day since about two or three weeks ago, whenever we started. So it's been going pretty well so far. We have a wide variety of writers. That's really good. Like I said, we have people from all over the country with different issues plaguing them right now. I mean, obviously COVID-19 is the big issue, but there's different ways that it's affecting all our lives. So it's been good to reconnect with a lot of these people. I know that they've appreciated it. I know I appreciate it. And we've been having a lot of fun. Now, where I'd like to see politics now go, I mean, just broadly speaking, I think it'd be fun for it to become something we make money off of. But realistically, if it's just something where we're having fun with our friends, putting out a blog every other day, opinion articles, maybe get someone to write some news articles once in a while, I'd be happy with that too. Because realistically, like I said, the fun of it is the writing. It's not really a huge profit initiative project. I just wanted to have fun with my friends again that I haven't talked to in a while. And I thought that this was going to be a good way for all of us to reconnect. And, you know, I've already met a lot of new people, you guys, who else did I meet that's new? I know we have, well, Seth, I knew a little bit, Seth Siegel, but he's talked to me a lot more ever since this all started. So it's been a good way to meet new people again. And like I said, you know, now I know some people from California, so that's cool. So it's just been nice to meet people all throughout the country and be able to hear about their experiences, how they're dealing with COVID-19, how they're dealing with their job, if they are employed, if they're unemployed, and just how everyone's going. So I think it, you know, it's been a real godsend and I obviously thank God every day for everything, but especially for politics now to start up so fast. So it's pretty, it's been pretty fun and I'd like to see it run the way it's running. Just maybe get some more writers on board. I guess I could say for right now. Yep. You can use that. You can recruit right now. So, (laughs) so yeah. And Peter Moon has been doing a great job recruiting. He's kind of been the guy that's recruiting, but he's been doing a good job with it. Yeah, I remember he originally actually recruited me for your university conservative, so it was cool to see that you really? guys rebooted. And I jumped on, and it was just a commitment at the time. And we actually hadn't didn't mm-hmm. even have the Matt and Chan show going. And just like our show, it's like we have fun doing it. We don't make a lot of money off doing this show. There's not a lot of profit. But it, me and him, we talk yeah, politics, it's and it's something we enjoy. So 100% agree with you. Exactly. So, Chan, you have a and question? Listen, everything starts small. Yep. Chan, you had a question? Yeah, I was going to jump in a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, COVID-19, that's sort of the centerpiece of uh, the news right now. I'm sure the, the majority of what you guys are covering in politics now. But 2020 is also uh, election year. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, presidential election? How do you uh, see it going? Do you have any, uh, any predictions? Well, see, I view myself, obviously, I'm a canvasser. I'm a campaigner. I do a lot of that. I personally don't like making predictions because I typically, you know, then I end up kicking myself usually. I don't know. But, you know, I think it's going to be a fun year. 
I think people saying that Joe Biden's going to win by 18 points, which I've seen some polls saying that, I don't, I don't think that's right. I'll say the same thing I did in 2016. No matter who wins, it's going to be a closer one than people expect. I mean, the, the reality of our political environment now, and I can say this confidently, the reality is no one, you're not going to see a Ronald Reagan landslide. Okay, there's not going to be someone who wins 49 states. This country, unfortunately, is too polarized. This country is, you know, it's good that people have opinions and pay attention, but there's a lot of polarization. We see this especially in swing states, like my, my own state. I mean, you go out east, east, southeast. That place is very liberal. Center of the country is like center of Pennsylvania. Central Pennsylvania is kind of like Kansas, Texas, you know, very conservative. And then you go out west, like you guys in California, once again, it becomes a little more, I guess, to the left. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think that President Trump is going to get high marks for this coronavirus. I mean, we've seen the media lie and lie and lie about him. I know I've been following real clear politics and their approval rating of him every single day, effectively. And I think it was interesting to look at, actually, because do you remember back in December, like September through December of 2017, whenever the football players were kneeling, whenever Roy Moore was running for Senate. It was just a very bad time to be oh, yeah. a Republican at that point. And Donald Trump had a negative 21 approval rating. I mean, take it at face value. I don't know if you believe that or not. But the the fact is that the pollsters pulled people and 21%, 21% more people disliked him than liked him at that point, okay? I checked today. Right now it's a negative 58 his he his first day in office he had a positive approval rating by 0.1% every single time since it's been negative like i said believe what you want that's just the facts that they're getting i don't know who they're getting it from but that's the facts they're reporting that's the facts i'm going off of for now because i think the minute that we take this too lightly and we say oh well 2016 predicted it wrong it's going to go wrong again the reason they did wrong in 2016 was because we fought hard Republicans across this country went out and voted. They called their neighbors. They registered voters. There was enthusiasm. There was excitement. And that's the reason we won in 2016. And if we want to end up like Donald Trump again this year and not like Hillary Clinton, I think that we really need to stop telling people that Joe Biden has no chance because that's just going to make them want to vote more for him. So everyone has a chance. The only thing that's guaranteed in politics is nothing. So we need to make sure that we remind people it's important to vote, whether that's through mail-in, whether that's through going to the polls, absentee. We need to make sure that we are encouraging people to dispel the fake narratives that are, and that's what it really is at this point. There's a lot of narratives being pushed by the media. It's not even a fake story here or there. These are complete narratives. This is a fictional story from a lot of these. And on both sides, I will admit Fox News is not perfect. They don't really publish a lot of great things either, but there's just been so much, to quote Joe Biden, malarkey in the news lately. And I, I do like that word. That's a good word. But there's been a lot of it. And it's disgusting, especially during this time, whenever there are people dying, there's people losing their livelihoods, that the president can't even focus just on protecting us. He needs to defend himself because these savages that call themselves journalists at these White House press briefings are going after him relentlessly. And that's the beautiful thing about free speech. They're allowed to. But there's never been a crisis like this in history where the media has treated a president like this. I mean, you think Pearl Harbor, World War II, 9-11, you know, anything like that. The media put aside their partisan 
you know, I'm, I'm trying not to swear. They put aside the, their partisan beliefs and they focused on reporting the facts during those times. And I mean, even you look at FDR, they they were covering for him. I mean, he was crippled. They didn't want the world to know that. They thought it would make him look bad. They covered for him. They made him look better. I'm not saying that the media should make someone look better. I think they should just report the facts. But it's just sad to see how they're not reporting facts. I mean, you saw ABC ran with some fake news article the other day. They said that the U.S. Department of Defense or Army, I forget what it was, but it was like related to the military. They said they briefed Trump in 2019 in December that it was going to explode like this. The the U.S. Army came out literally like 30 minutes later and was like, yeah, we never, we never did that. And then, you know, ABC News goes and just issues some, oh, we're sorry, we made up a story. It's just ridiculous. It's really sad. But I guess my prediction for 2020 is that Whoever can pull out the most people is going to be who wins. I feel like a lot of people, even in November, are going to be scared to go out and vote. I guess that the one good thing is that a lot of Donald Trump supporters are very enthusiastic, and that's actually a poll, too. I think it pulled a lot more Trump supporters are enthusiastic than Biden supporters, which, I mean, you can see that pretty honestly. I mean, that's just obvious. So it's going to come down to turnout. It's going to come down to a few states like last time. I know that they're writing off Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, but they did that last time. You know, those will be three crucial states, maybe a little less on Michigan. I mean, we can see Minnesota in play. Arizona is going to be in play. Florida, Ohio, Iowa, North Carolina. We're going to see a lot of those states in play. And it's going to depend on the ground operations that are going on in those states. Exactly. I know Pennsylvania. No, if it wasn't for Pennsylvania, it's like, Trump doesn't win in 2016. I know Sean Smith, one of my friends, um, he's come on the show and stuff, and and he was actually one of his teachers in high school was like, oh, yeah, Pennsylvania, it's going to go blue. It's going to go blue. He wore a Pennsylvania shirt to school the next day and was like, yeah, I told you so. And the teacher was like, yeah, you were right. Most of the kids in the class were really sad. (laughs) Listen, I am a Pennsylvanian. I did not in a million years expect Pennsylvania to go red in 2016. That was a shock. Miracle. I had no no idea that Pennsylvania, I mean, don't even include Michigan, don't even include Wisconsin. I didn't think Pennsylvania was going to go red. I personally thought walking into election night, I'm like, you know, Donald Trump's going to go in. He might pull an upset in Florida. He might flip Ohio. It's going to be very close. I really don't think he's going to pull it off. Never would have guessed that he would have won not only Florida, Ohio, Iowa, North Carolina, but he flipped Pennsylvania for the first time in 28 years. He flipped Michigan for the first time in 28 years since George H.W. Bush. And he flipped Wisconsin for the first time in 32 years since Ronald Reagan. I mean, they haven't gone red since that. So, I mean, that, that's really impressive. Yep, thank and you for I all that ground support out there, too. States. Yeah, yeah, I think there were Nevada, New Hampshire, you know, they could go red, they could go blue. They're going to be close ones this year, too. Yep, so we are out of time, Matt. I know if you had any last closing thoughts, I don't know if you wanted to, we've got politics now, we got a lot of stuff going on for you right now. I don't know if you wanted any last messages that you Yeah, I'll just say, just say something quick. People that are facing the coronavirus, I pray for you at nightly. I hope that we can all make it through this. I know we will, and we'll come out the other end stronger. We always do. That's the beauty of America, like I said earlier, the fact that we can unite and come out stronger. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having yeah, me thanks on, for Matt. coming on. Yep, absolutely. It. I hope I can again soon. Oh yeah, we'll be very soon. Yep. We'll stay in contact. So, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, you're good. Go um, yeah, it'll be good. I'm hopefully have Peter on. I think we can do even another person or two people, or if we want to have some of the the politics now group come on, I think that would be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Let me know. So awesome. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Matt. We'll see you later. Hey, thank you. Awesome. See ya. 
We'll be right back. All right. So we're back. Thank you so much to Matt Supon for coming on to the show, uh, talking about what life is like in Pennsylvania right now, um, as well as um, his contributions to politics now. I think uh, everybody should go check out Politics Now, especially if you enjoy our show uh, and, and see the content that they're putting out there. Uh, next, we're going to jump in on how college students are impacted by the coronavirus. Uh, I know we're, uh, we're covering a, a student at the University of Maryland, Sage Crittenstein, I believe is how you say her last name, mm-hmm. um, whose father passed away from COVID-19. and. Uh, yeah, Matt, you want to jump in on that story? Yeah, just thoughts and prayers out to her family and everything that they're going to have to go through in preparation for the funeral and different things like this. So sorry to hear about this, uh, Sage. And the fact that the professor, one of her professors, there were not all of them, but just one of her professors specifically was telling her, hey, you, the, the other students are struggling in different things. I have the tweets loaded up right here. She pretty much explains that her dad had passed away from COVID-19. And the teacher responds, okay, all right, um, to pretty much says, uh, try to get it done on time. That would be much better. I like to be consistent with all students because there are many who are having a difficult time as well. So just want to be consistent with that. So this professor's coming out. Okay, there's a lot of people out there struggling. Okay, like no like condolences and everything to the different things. So this whole thing is just surprising. Like, I don't know why a professor would come out. Like she just lost her father to COVID-19 and this whole crisis. and and I bet there's other people that are struggling, but the fact that the weight of this, it's, it's her father and the fact that the professor still, even after she emails her back, telling her that there's a funeral going to be occurring and it's going to conflict with a Zoom meeting of class and the professor continues. She's like, yeah, I understand. We're starting a new section on the course today. I would highly recommend that you attend and participate in the Zoom meetings. It would take your mind off things and material will be on exam three. So it just, it just shows the heartlessness of this professor and the fact that she's coming out and she's being honest with the professor. Her father passed away, and the fact that the professor's just no heart. And the crazy thing about it is her other professors that she emailed either gave her extensions or just let her like finish the semester up. Hey, do this up so we can we can finish the semester that you can go in and mourn with the family and, and just celebrate life and different things. But this professor, very, very heartless. And it just surprises me. What are your thoughts, Chan, on this whole thing? It's I don't know, it's just surprising. Yeah, you know, hopefully this is just a one-off story. Um, but yeah, you know, people are being affected by the coronavirus in uh, very real ways. And, and like you said, the heartlessness of that professor, maybe not necessarily bad intentioned, you know, when he said like the, the Zoom meeting might help uh, get your mind off the thing. It's just not the appropriate response. You know, I think this is a time where we all need to have an extra degree of compassion uh, for each other. and. Uh, and understanding for you know everybody dealing with uh, different things. Certainly, the loss of a, a parent is tragic and, and awful. Um, so, you know, I, I think we can all um, we can also take this story as a, a cautionary tale to uh, show each other a little bit of extra compassion. You don't know what somebody else is going through, uh, especially related to the virus, but just in general with life. So, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, and it's like I feel lucky to have the professors that we have at Fresno Pacific that were very some were more strict than others. I can't say all of them were like the they made e things easier. And there needs to be some rigor to courses. Like people are still there needs to be some education occurring. We can't just have students taking the easy way out of everything. But when you have something like this, 
where her father passed away and the fact that this professor was like, hey, no, um, you need to make sure you're still doing your work. It's just a very heartless response. I know the school's looking into it, the University of Maryland. And just to have a professor like this is just like, man, you got to realize that this is real life and there's things that happen. And a lot of professors are understanding. I'm not saying all professors are bad, but just looking at the whole situation, hopefully University of Maryland takes care of this. I'm hoping that she either gets some extension on it or some time during the next few weeks to be able to get these assignments done because it's, it's just unfair to the students. I know a lot of people are struggling through this whole thing. So it just, it just goes to show you, I know our next thing we wanted to cover was just the different amount. There's about 25 different lawsuits right now from college campuses across the country that students are suffering because they were just kicked out of room and board and they're, they're pressing for refunds. And a lot of these big schools that are out here that have big endowments are not making sure students get refunds. And I know there needs to be an operation cost and there's things for each semester, but online learning is not the same as in-class learning. I know you can keep the rigor the same online, but students pay for an on, uh, on-campus experience. Chandler, you and I both have on-campus experience. We know what that life is. It's a lot different than online schooling. So what are your thoughts on the whole thing with colleges not refunding students whatsoever? Luckily, FPU has given me some money. I'm happy for that. But I know a lot of others aren't getting that type of money back. Yeah, you know, this is a hard situation. Like you said, there are still a lot of operating costs involved and uh, professors still needing to be paid and, and infrastructure still be needed to uh, to be maintained. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what the best course is, uh, of action. I'll relate this a little bit to um, a lot of major icons that uh, have been canceled related to uh, to COVID-19 uh, are also not giving refunds. And, I, and obviously this is the difference of like maybe uh, a couple hundred dollars versus thousands of dollars that uh, you would pay for a, a semester at college. Um, but still a uh, similar idea going on there that there's a lot of operating costs and a lot of costs that uh, the university has to swallow early in, um, uh, in the semester or even uh, months in advance. So, uh, I do, I, I also, though, uh, certainly understand that the student's perspective uh, here and, and that um, you're not getting your money's worth and uh, not getting what you paid for. It, overall, this is just such a, a confusing situation. Uh, you know, you look at things like uh, rent uh, for those who are renting houses and not being able to pay that and, and these costs just moving further and further up the chain. Um, so yeah, there's a. I don't see a, a very clear path forward in this. I I'm sure there will be some universities that offer some amount of refund, uh, like President Pacific did with uh, a small uh, amount of the housing that moved away from on-campus housing. Um, you get a, a small refund there. Um, I could see that happening at, at a number of universities, but yeah, I I don't really know. Do you have any strong opinions on this? Um, I'm just saying, like, if you're not, if you say, like, a lot of schools, there was, like, Harvard, they were the first school to shut down, and that was in February, and the fact that they had months after that they paid for, and a lot of these schools that have big endowments, I feel like refunds should be issued to a certain percentage. I know even University of Chicago, they come out, and they said that they're sending, that students are sending in letters that they are not going to, at least, that, that there should be reductions at least 50%, so it's just, Keeping these schools accountable, like I've said, like big schools, there's a lot of money that go into these schools to, to keep them up and running. But at the end of the day, like, are you really for the students or are you just a business? You're a big business and they should be accountable. So it's, it's a, it, colleges, I think that with everything going on, 
Um, I know I'm glad with like Charlie Kirk and going into these universities and stuff and the indoctrination of students in these schools is not a good thing. And, and there's just this big cartel of colleges across the country and they're taking all these money and the fact that that students aren't getting a return. And this is an investment. Like me and you, we spend thousands and thousands of dollars a year to go to Fresno Pacific University. And luckily they've said, okay, you're on on-campus housing. We're going to send you some money. And I know there's different stimulus money going out. And I know that only is to a select part of the population. So it's just, and it affects international students, DACA students, et cetera. So it's just making sure that students are taken care of through this time of crisis. This has been what, I think we've been over 50 days in quarantine. Students, the bills, bills never stop. The bills are going to be there when we get back. These loans that we took out at the beginning of the year, they still have to be paid. They're not going to be disappeared. That's not how the economy works. And that's not how our nation works in the, in the fact that we don't have socialized education, which I'm glad we don't because education would go down in quality for sure. I think when we have a socialist economy and all the money, it's like, well, it sounds good. Everybody's going to get free education, but it dilutes the degree. It's if everybody gets it, it's just going to turn in like everybody hears. Oh yeah. If you get a bachelor's degree now, that's not enough anymore. You have to go get a master's or a doctorate or something because now there's so many people going to colleges and there's been this lack of people going into the workforce. Like colleges, it's like I'm in college right now and I'm getting my degree and I'm, I'm happy to be getting a degree in political science and history and just looking at what it's going to be worth after college and looking at the different effects of like there's the, that everybody should be going to college, that we should all go to college. And the fact that there, there are jobs paying $55,000 or more a year opening salary that are not, that don't require a college degree. And I think we want to promote that on the show at, to some extent is college isn't for everybody. And I think forcing everybody into this bubble and the cartel of colleges has created such a demand that colleges can charge whatever they want and they will get that because they know the demand is high and they, people expect. So I just think it's that there needs to be more promotion of different work. Like we need people to go. If you're not going into a specialized field, like the medical field, or if you're not going in and you're going in to get a teaching credential or different things like this that are, that are jobs like that, that require this degree, then look at the different options because there are a lot of jobs out there that even pay $100,000 a year that don't even require a college degree, but they get food on the table. So I don't know, that's just my little tidbit on colleges and different things. I think students should be given what, they, what the value of the college on campus has been affected, and it's affected a lot of students. So I think there needs to be some accountability to colleges across the country. Yeah, absolutely. I know we're running short on time here, and we still have a couple of stories that we want to get to. Um, one of those being uh, how uh, China is sending large numbers of students, and they have been for some time, uh, to the United States, and maybe some shady things going on. You want to talk about that a little bit? So as we know, there are international students that come into our country, but China sends an overwhelmingly amount of students to this country through different programs like the Thousand Talents program that launched in 2008. And this incentivizes students to come to the United States, do research, get a degree. And there's different people like we have, uh, I think it's Charles Lieber, um, that, that come in and they take advantage of the system. And, and we have students that are coming in. So we have 400,000 students from China coming into the United States a year. So this is good for China. China's like, okay, we're getting our students educated and we're going to take care of it all, especially with the communist nation. They have a lot of control. So they're sending these students to the United States and they're getting an education here. And if they know it or not know it, they, they come back to China and they are using this information like to 
it like as an advantage and they're using it against the United States or they're pretty much coming here, getting the education, going back, helping their, their GDP, helping their economy as a whole. And we have different people like Charles Lieber who was, was part of, was participating in this uh, thousand talents uh, program. And he was entrusted with millions of dollars from taxpayers. This is where the big thing is. We got this whole thing here. They're get, they're taking taxpayer money and they're using it and China's using it to an advantage. And they arrested him, I think, in February for lying about all these different things. And he was getting paid $50,000 a month from the Chinese Communist Party. And they gave him $1.5 million to establish a, a nanoscience research lab in mainland China. So they're using and they're stealing our research from these accredited and highly uh, recognizable universities. And they're taking that information and they're taking it to China. And it's things like the coronavirus where we're like, we don't know what China's doing with that information, but their goal is to take out the United States. They want to be the global power. And we've heard the different conspiracies on the Wuhan lab and the possibilities of it coming. And it's just like certain things about COVID don't make sense. And China, until more information is put out, is just ripping off Americans and they're trying to pass us. I know they're by population, they should pass us in GDP by 2040. So they're on a mission and they got, they're like, hey, we're going to take out America. We're going to be the next global power. We want to be the center of the world. So what are your thoughts, Chan, on China, China ripping off pretty much our education system and there's no accountability for it? Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan of it. Certainly this isn't a knock on uh, Chinese or, or really any other um, uh, nationality of students coming into the U.S. to receive an education. Uh, but if you're using taxpayer uh, funds for research or for um, any sort of other uh, other way to offset costs, um, that needs to American tax dollars need to be uh, benefiting Americans and not um, countries that would like to see America crumble. So uh, I, I'm not a fan of it at all, and uh, I think we need to have a lot more accountability in terms of where our information is going and. Um, who's getting access to it and uh, who is getting uh, access to American tax money. Exactly. hundred percent. And this things is like, we have all these technological advances and China's coming over. Oh yeah, that looks good. I think that would be really good. How can we add on to that? How can we develop that? How can we make it in our image? And they, and they've been doing it for years. They've been stealing intellectual property from the United States. They've been developing military weapons. They have been building islands in the South China Sea, they're, they're trying to be the next global power, and it doesn't look good. They're a communist state, and the thing is, when people come in, they track every citizen in the country of China. You're poor, rich, whatever. They, they know every move and everything that you do in that country. So their students are coming back, and they can be like, hey, what is the information that you learned? How can we use it? And they can either know that they're getting used or not, be, not know that they're being used, and it's just it's disastrous. So I just want to move on to our final story of the day. I think this is kind of interesting. So there's a conspiracy out there, not usually big on pushing conspiracy, but I thought this story was kind of funny. They're thinking that Kim Jong-un is either dead or not in a state that they're using a stunt double to pose as him. So Chandler, what are your thoughts? Kim Jong-un, is, is he actually alive or is this a stunt double? We watched the video beforehand and it was quite interesting seeing him cut at a ribbon ceremony there in, in North Korea. So it's interesting. Is, is this could possibly be a stunt double? Yeah, you know, I don't really want to make too big of a comment on whether or not I think it's actually him, simply because we don't know. We have pretty poor intel on um, on North Korea, especially to uh, the general population of America. I'm, I'm sure that uh, 
there are people who uh, are aware of uh, what's actually going on. But yeah, I think it is pretty hilarious to think that uh, it might not actually be uh, Kim Young Un, that it might be uh, it might be a, a stunt double. So you know, it, it's nearly impossible to say though. So I, I don't really have a comment. Yeah, I know it's it's just something to throw out there. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. I know various dictators from across history have used stunt doubles as a way to pose their security threats, different things like that. And it's just like Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, they all had different people that would pose in certain things. And it just goes to show you, it's like North Korea, sometimes we're like, oh, is he alive? Is he dead? And then the fact that he comes out, it's like, whoa. And and there's still going to be some conspiracy around this just because, like you said, North Korea, we don't have a lot of intel on what goes on in North Korea. So I just wanted to share that story here at the end of the show. I know we had a pretty nice show today. It was nice having Matt Zapon on there. We got to talk about the impacts on college students on college campuses and just looking at what, what's going on with Michael Flynn and the good news in Clovis that we're, they're going to be back up and running and hopefully Fresno follows suit and that we're back to normal life soon. So I know that's all the time we got today. So thank you for watching or listening to the show on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Like, subscribe, comment, do everything that you can to promote the show. There's one thing that I ask you guys is to tell a friend. Tell a friend, help us grow the show. You don't have to leave a review or anything, but there's one thing is that we have a cost to the show. We don't make much on this show, but one cost of listening to the show is go out, tell somebody about the show, and then if they like it, don't like it, it's just spread the word. That's what that's all we're trying to promote here. Just want to give uh, some shout-outs to our Fancher Creek Pool Services for our sponsorship, and just uh, another shout-out to Politics Now. They're a growing conservative and liberal. There's different viewpoints that are being promoted on this website for, for writers that want to get their, their, their writing out there. So it's good to hear about Matt Sapon and his life in Pennsylvania. So it's, we got a lot of things coming up. I know Chandler, we're thinking about doing possibly maybe multiple episodes a week, a little shorter so that our audience can get more content from the Matt and Chan show, but maybe in a smaller, smaller format. So I'm excited to see what the summer beholds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you think that would be a good idea to have maybe a, a midweek episode that lasted 20 to 30 minutes um, or, or shorter or longer, let us know. And uh, we really value your feedback. Um, also, we're uh, selling T-shirts. Uh, if you guys are interested in getting some Matt and Chan merch, Matt's uh, holding up one right now. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see uh, what that T-shirt would look like. Uh, got a uh, Matt and Chan show on it. Pretty uh, basic T-shirt. You get it in a number of colors. Uh, Matt's holding up the royal blue color. Uh, Matt, what are some of the other colors they can get the t-shirt um, in? You can get it in navy blue, royal blue, white, black, uh, I think even pink. And there's some other colors that we're, we're trying to get into it. I know I'm looking at, we're using Vista right now to do all our things. So it's really nice, but there's some limitations to it. So we might be looking at moving to a different distributor for different things like that but for right now i think it's it's good what we got going if you like to to make an order contact us at the matt and chan at gmail.com or you can dm us on facebook twitter instagram anywhere that you find our podcast so yeah chan you want to close us out man yeah so we're out of time but everybody out there stay hopeful stay determined stay safe god bless and until next time this is matt and chan show